Hello and welcome to another episode of What We Talk About When We Talk About Tech, a podcast all about tech storytelling. This week we're talking to Wesley Faulkner, who is a DevRel at Daily. Wesley, nice to speak to you. It's great. It's uh, mid-week, so it's the time of the week where it feels like you're closer to the end, but you're right in the middle, which is the best time part. Because like I have a lot of deadlines and it's great to say I still have time to do them, which is which <laughs> is uh, makes it like an ambitious goal to finish before yeah. I can. And, and it gives you a bit of a bit of a kick to get whatever you're supposed to do done. Right. Yeah, I need that motivation to to get things done. Or you find an excuse for nap time. It's the middle True. of the week. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's plenty of time still. So I can <laughs> add, pack in some more procrastination if I need to. Maybe you're you're probably the best person to give an introduction to who you are and what you do. Um, I know I gave a mini introduction, but I'm sure you could give a far better one for people listening. So my name is Wesley Faulkner. I uh, was born in Brooklyn, New York, to parents who are immigrants. So both my parents were new to this country, one from Haiti, one from uh, the British Virgin Islands of Antigua. And so I'm first-generation American. Uh, we quickly migrated to Texas where it was warmer, and that's where I grew up and went to school. I majored in electrical computer engineering, didn't graduate, but that was my journey into technology. I had multiple roles from a product development engineer at AMD and a storage emergency brick fix responder for Dell. But then I pivoted to social media and marketing. And I did that for about a decade before I moved over to doing developer relations and being a developer advocate, first for IBM, then MongoDB. And that brought me here to my current role as a developer advocate for daily. For people that don't know what is DevRel versus developer advocacy, developer evangelist, what are all these crazy newfangled terms? DevRel is an umbrella term that is containing both the developer experience and the developer marketing, depending on the brand that you are inclined towards. Developer advocate is a just a piece of that, which is the face and personality that represent a customer to the developer customer base. And also on the other side, representing the developer customer community inside the the company to make sure that their wants or needs are brought to the table when product discussions or tech support or documentation is discussed. The whole developer space is one that is extremely niche, uh, even though it is broad. So when you hear about developers, there could be front-end developers, web developers, mobile developers, all kinds of developers. And when a company is making a, a developer product, you have to have that cycle of listening, enabling, and testing. And so a person who's embedded in the community is really needed to make sure that the gap between expectations and customer needs is shortened. So a developer advocate is the person that kind of does that. For your role, which department are you in? Because that's a very across the board in the developer advocacy yes. space. So you could be in marketing, you can be under uh, engineering, uh, there can be, you can be under product. My company is so small, we don't have those divisions. So I report directly to the CEO. So I'm not in any department. So uh, it kind of blows that whole equation out of the water. And what, tell us about daily. 
So Daily is a API that's based on WebRTC to allow video to be embedded in both a website or an application. And the term video is in all of its forms. So you can do kind of like a a meeting chat, like grid style of chat, where you can talk to multiple people, have conferences, or you can break it up into its different components and maybe even just use the audio piece and do kind of like a clubhouse clone. Or you can remix it and only have the video embedded into like a circle that follows a cursor. So if you're doing collaborative work with a team, you can each see what line that you're talking on, kind of like Google Sheets, but more enhanced experience. So we do the whole gamut of video is the main reason that you're using our API to just an add-on to your application. So if you're doing, I don't know, like a Slack and you just say, hey, let's just have a quick call that you click a button and we embed the video experience into your application. So it's just a feature and not the main purpose of it. So we do everything in between. Kind of want to explore sort of what DevRel means at daily a little bit later. But before we kind of get onto that, I wanted to ask you, so we often kind of talk about DevRel, but it's almost as if it's kind of always been there, but obviously it's a fairly new job role, right? So I'm kind of interested in your perspective on sort of where it's come from and sort of how how new or how old it is and sort of how it's evolved over the last, I guess, like decade or so. Yeah, I think DevRel, it has been around just like several different aspects of talking, people talking to people and relating to people, but it's been formalized as DevRel to kind of talk to certain people. DevRel, I think, came from the the notion or the conception that developers don't like to be marketed to. But the truth is everybody likes being marketed to if it's presented in a way that's more palatable and easy for them to understand what it is with minimal risk. So if if you are a person who loves trailers of a movie that's coming out, that's advertising, that's marketing. If you are in the grocery store and someone's giving away free samples, that is also marketing. So being in DevRel is just really understanding the customer base and how they like to be packaged and presented with information. Developers, when they get a package or get a product, whether it's SaaS or an IDE, they have to not just be a person that kind of limps in, they have to almost be all in on whatever they buy. They have to become an expert. They have to read the documentation. And if you know general consumers, documentation is a piece of paper you throw away as soon as you open the box. But with developers, it's really important to focus on that side. So the the way that developers operate are just different. And so it's not marketing because developers don't like marketing. It's more like understanding how developers like to be spoken to and related to. And so that's my view on developer relations is being the person that either makes what we do more conform to how they use it or take what we have and use that to make our developers better customers so that they learn faster, they get up to speed faster, and there's just less friction for them to get to their end goal. Cool. Good answer. And just to kind of make it more sort of practical for anyone listening, like what what does being a DevRel involve on a kind of day-to-day, week-by-week sort of basis? Like what does your life look like? Philosophy of DevRel, I think I kind of covered it, but like to actually practically what I do, um, I make videos to help with understanding what our platform does. I listen to complaints about errors and how things are presented. Because if you think like people who are picky about grammar, (laughs) syntax can cause... You, your thing from working to your thing erroring out. 
So syntax is really important to make sure that those are once found or corrected quickly. Um, we do blog posts to help with not just explaining stuff, but help with inspiring. So there's a lot you can do with video and sometimes just a spark of inspiration will help someone understand how they can better use video or better integrate video into what they're already doing. Uh, I also do personal connections through social media like Twitter. Uh, also for developer specific uh, locations like Hacker News or Product Hunt or any of these other places where you can find developers. I'm experimenting with Clubhouse also right now and finding people there. Uh, and of course, LinkedIn uh, is a professional connection place where people find me and I find other people and doing podcasts like this to show that I'm a real person, that I can be approachable. You can talk to me. I love to talk to you. And in fact, it's my job. So that's kind of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is try to be out there to help explain and to make sure that I'm in the community to listen. So something that always comes up is everyone's job in DevRel is kind of different. And a lot of it, what you're describing is with your own personal brand and your own personal account, when you're talking about social media, how do you measure your success? How do you prove the value of your job? The, the vanity metrics that companies push sometimes with like engagement or clicks or views. But if you're talking about my personal measurement of success, it is, I take it into having relationships and moving those past the, the like getting to know you for a phase, the first dates over into like friendship and relationship. So relationship conversion is the metric that I use to make sure that I don't just talk to people, but they know that I'm invested in their understanding, their care and their development. And they can move or uh, move from one area to the other and I'm there to be with them along that step in that journey. So I try to focus on not the monetary transaction of kind of measurement of like how much money did we make, but I focus on the personal, the relationship, kind of that type of measurement of deepening connections to make sure things are moving forward. So my job is not to make you spend money or even to use our product, but to realize that I'm here to help. And hopefully you associate me with the product that I know best, which is daily. But if not, I will help help you along your journey if you're with us or not with us, just to make sure that you're successful. It's almost like the, the Google theory, like the more people who use the internet, the better it is for us eventually. So I feel it's the same thing with making sure that on a developer's journey, that they find what they need, wherever they need it. And hopefully uh, they recognize that the kind of philosophy is in our products through and through, but I'm just an offshoot of that. Oh, see, I was thinking more Miracle on 34th Street when Santa Claus sends the kids to the other stores so they have the cheaper toys. It benefits yeah. everyone. <laughs> Brand this loyalty. is what you're missing. <laughs> You've obviously got a lot of freedom, I guess, but I, I kind of I'm interested in hearing like what does that mean in terms of your like conversation with your boss? And like how do you how does he like or she talk to talk to you about kind of what you're doing and like setting goals and things like that? How does it kind of translate? to translate to that and how do you sort of manage them in in kind of okay i'm doing this i'm doing this this is what i'm going to try and achieve like how does that play out i suppose right so i mentioned that i'm kind of in like a pretty sweet situation and that is another reason why i'm at daily it's an amazing company they trust me so explicitly and implicitly to do what they think is best for both the developers and for me. And they also understand that passion shows through work. So if you're loving what you're doing, it really does seem like that. And that is something that is true. It's not an act. I love 
what I do from making videos to engaging on Twitter uh, to being on podcasts, I, I, I kind of eat it up. And so usually it's more of they want to be looped in on what I am doing. They want to make sure that I understand what's coming down in terms of product developments. Uh, they let me latch on to the thing that is really exciting to me and to help with that production. And they know where my interests lie. And so they say, hey, this is coming out. Can you do a video? And I'm like, oh, yes, I can do a video on that. <laughs> Um, so it's more, it's really, it's a, it's, it's a really deep partnership between me and management. They say, here's some ideas. I say, let me pick some of those ideas and then run with those. So it's, it's basically that back and forth. And then I say, Hey, here's an idea. This is what I'd like to do. And they're like, yeah, go with it. So we don't have super strict KPIs. We don't have quarterly goals. We have company goals and me being informed about what we as a team as a group need to do, help shape what I choose to, to run with. And I really do prefer this way of doing work is knowing what we're all trying to fight for, what we're all trying to move the needle on. And it feels less of an individual trying to affect something that's bigger than myself. We are all together, all doing our darndest to do what's best for the company. And that's because the company does what's best for us. And it just works as a nice ecosystem yeah wonderful i guess kind of just as you're kind of the route in for customers into the company you're also kind of the proxy for the customer for like everyone around you at daily right you're the person that is able to sort of really get inside the, their minds and work out well, what's exciting what's challenging and then do you do you sort of feed that back into the product itself yes but i also want to like not take all of the credit to uh, we all grab a different piece of the elephant and mine is on the social general community space and even with other developer advocates. So understanding, because I'm in those communities and understanding what their complaints that they're hearing and what the buzz is. And there also are people uh, in our org that do the customer service. So people who are dealing with specific issues because of their implementation, because our API lets you do whatever you want almost. There are some use cases that are new even to us that we're finding out what combinations could have better documentation smoother implementation. So then we have pre-sales that people want to use our service who have all of these questions and some of the questions repeat over and over again. And that's useful for us. And we meet regularly and we have open conversations. So I bring my piece of the elephant. Hopefully it's not the rear part, but I bring my piece and I bring it and make sure that we're all talking and having this conversation. So it's 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 a it, that collaborative nature of talking about what customers want or what our users wants or what the industry is pushing um, is all a collaboration where we share with each other. Hey, that elephant tail allows for the whole elephant to find success and it's cute and little right. wiggling yes. anyway. And it's important to like, you know, it's a cycle. And if you neglect the rear part of how information comes out, then <laughs> you're not healthy. Um, how has your job changed over the last year? Were you working on a distributed team before? Were you mm -hmm. in person? How does, yes, you were traveling before, right? How yes. has it changed for the better, worse, or in between? No. I feel like it's a lot like like 2008 here in the States when the housing crash happened. 
right before that, there was a vast majority of people who were in real estate that just showed houses and cash checks. But when it went into the bad place, I'll just put it that way. The ones who washed out were the ones who didn't have the support that they needed, didn't have the group that they needed to make sure that tips and tricks are shared, or also were just in the space to just limp in and didn't really care all that much. Same has happened with DevRel. It's allowed people to use their creativity to find people that were once in a space, but now are in a different space. So physical to virtual and understand who whose skills translate. So if you care for a customer in person, you care for them virtually. So making sure that you really are clear about your intentions and what you're trying to do. So what's changed for me is instead of flying to conferences and giving talks on a stage. Um, I do virtual events. I do more podcasts. I do more social. I work more in hand in hand with blog posts and making sure that we kind of relate what we're trying to do and in video. So the, the core of what I do hasn't changed. It's just the manifestation that has. So I am personally, I mentioned my social media background. Uh, I personally feel like I'm a virtual native. I'm very comfortable with relating with people and having conversations online. So where it was a shock to most people and people are figuring it out, I felt like I personally had a, an advantage and I feel lucky that I actually found my job in the middle of the pandemic and things have only gotten better for me. And I can't say that I can complain too much. I feel sorry for the companies who didn't understand DevRel, who just laid off their whole departments, especially in the middle of the pandemic. But there are plenty of companies now that are realizing that if you want to relate to developers, you need to have someone who's more native to that community. And you can now see that it's even more of a competitive space because people who can do TikTok, jump on Twitch and do a stream, those are different aspects of developer relations. They're not the only way, but people who find their own niche online and are able to exploit that are really showing that they're able to be flexible and also finding the people who are in these more separated spaces online. Before I kind of ask a bit more about daily and Deborah at daily, I wanted to know how you sort of got into the field. And so you mentioned at the start about pivoting into social media and marketing. I just wanted to kind of get your story in terms of what that process was like and, and sort of why you, why you did it as well. So I was a product development engineer in AMD when this kind of like switch over to social media happened. So I would, I was always on like whatever social network, Friendsters, MySpace, whatever back in the day. And I, I'm a pretty open person, which means I talk about what I do. It's hard. I, I And what I do at, at home and what I do at work, I bring the same person, at least I try to as much as possible. And I started chatting about work online. So, hey, we're working on this cool thing or this is happening or I just learned this new thing. And that helped with getting a presence on Twitter at the time where people was like, oh, AMD is doing some cool stuff. AMD is really like doing social media well, but it wasn't me trying to do social media. It was just me sharing myself. Apparently that's a thing that seems to be a, attract people saying humans talking like humans. And, and so that's my social media style and always has been. One of my job as a product development engineer was working on this consumer based software called AMD Live, which was a home entertainment PC. And I went to several events because as I knew the technical part, which is like how to clear the registry and how to make it work and the marketing parts, which is why we're doing it and what was the purpose and what does it give to the consumer? So I went to a lot of shows where I answered a lot of questions, both from mainstream and technical press. One show that I went to is a 
one called South by Southwest. Uh, I was in Austin. It's in my backyard. I, it was natural for me to go. And that's when I met people who are both super technical and super sociable. And in my engineering background, that was very rare. And I always felt like an anomaly. And so I really latched onto this group of people and started going to uh, meetups or tweet ups back then. Uh, and learning more about social media, it's like, oh, well, you, you just be nice to people and you sit, you care what they believe in and you, you, you try to help them along. And that sounds exactly like what I do. And so I started doing social for AMD. I was a social media evangelist. I was on the social media council there. And over three years of volunteering and being a part of the social community, I decided to do the pivot and saying, hey, I want to do this. And so I did that for a while, met a lot of smart, smart people, uh, really great marketing practitioners. And in 2008, uh, 18, sorry, 2018, a friend of mine who knew me from the social space knew of my technical background and say, hey, we're spinning up DevRel at IBM. We think you would be perfect to help us get started to figure out how we do DevRel right. We would like to have you on. And that invitation actually caused me to pivot into DevRel. And when I got into DevRel, it felt exactly the same as when I got into social because it was an uncharted space that the scaffolding was still being put up. There were no defined ways of how to do it right, but there's few people who know what it being done wrong felt like. And that reignited my passion for helping people in a certain niche and allowed me to also bring more of my tech side and to rediscover that. So it kind of felt dormant when I did just marketing. Uh, so it felt like a really good combination of my best qualities. And that's kind of what pulled me into doing DevRel. Can DevRel exist without social media? Can it? Uh, yes and no. Just like the the pandemic kind of took people out of in-person events, those people didn't go away, they just went to different places. And I think in social, th there are a, a good contingent of developers on social. If social went away for everyone, then DevRel could work because there are different places that those people who are on social go. And also, if you're in DevRel and you're not on social, you are missing out on some people, but those people aren't only on social too. So they're taking advantage of different places that developers congregate. So yes, it, but but I mentioned before that developers on a monolith, there are some developers who aren't on social and on are only on niche communities uh, like cryptocurrency or quantum computing, AI, ML, there are some niche communities for there too. So. I think social, especially Twitter, is a, one of those networks where the barrier of entry is low. You don't have to friend and have a mutual follow to see their content. It's pretty out there. So it feels like the glue that kind of holds all this together to transition from one community to the other. It's, it's, I think it's very necessary and very important, but I think that you can still make a difference not using social. Just to kind of go more into daily and sort of what you do there and kind of what DevRel means to daily, could you sort of talk us through kind of your process of bringing the technology to life or kind of identifying things to tell stories about, you know, this is a tech storytelling podcast, like how do you, yeah, how do you sort of go about that? What's your process? Part of my process of like approaching it is extremely empathetic because I feel like I'm still re-emerging myself into technology after this these years. And so when I hear jargon or I hear a part that's pretty awesome or confusing, I learn about it, I understand it, 
And then I try to take my own experience and then display that and put it out there, see how it goes, understand what questions come back or what other confusions there are or things that I miss because my experience is not universal. It's very personal. And so me sharing my experience is where I start. I didn't know what when you say video API, is it just like making a video chat? Is that all you do? So I start with that. It's like, okay, then I made a video about what is a video API? How can you use it? So on and so forth. How do you sign up for our service? Some of the basics, some of the test points where I go in to daily with fresh eyes, I try to see what doesn't make sense or what can be clarified. And that's generally my approach until I get better feedback from people and saying, hey, I don't understand this. And then I take that and try to use that for inspiration going forward. Is there anything that has ever jumped out as something that really resonates or maybe something that surprised you that's resonated that you didn't necessarily expect? Oh yeah, it's um, the different methods of video. So they're streaming, right? So you can do Facebook Live or YouTube Live where there's a huge delay. Then there's the other part of video, which is recorded, but still broadcast. So like um, Netflix or Hulu or HBO Max, where you can, the video is there somewhere, but you have to disseminate it to a lot of people. And then there's this real-time video part, like what we're doing, where you have to see people's expressions. You have to try to have a conversation. And I never thought about all of that as video. And you have to use different methods and techniques and breaking all that stuff out to really show when you say I have a video API, like, great, can I use it to do Twitch streaming? The short answer is yes, but there's always a caveat, but you have to approach it in a different way and so that that whole like video seems pretty self-explanatory we've had video forever what does that mean in a technology kind of world and the usage of that which was, was kind of blew me, blew my mind because i never thought about it before cool. uh, one of the things that comes up in the api community is people still there's not that big grasp of what the api is how much of your job is helping your developer audience then advocate or explain what they're trying to do to the business side? Mm, that's a really good question. I think, yeah, from the, from the, the, the advocation, the, I'm using words that I'm making up now, advocation. <laughs> so you, it's a word, you didn't make it up, you just invented it and brought it to us. It's an evolving language. We always change it, uh, especially in technology. We, we take words and make them our own. Business value is one of the things that from an API perspective that is not really talked about of exposing like how billing works, how, how analytics work, how troubleshooting works. All of that is built into API and getting up and running. So in terms of developer time to value, all of that's wrapped up into experience and making money or a value when it comes to an API. Usually it's it doesn't come specifically as an API question. It usually comes into a question in terms of a pain point where they already are. We're using this solution. We can't tell when we're the problem or when our customers are having the problem. We, we don't know um, how many minutes we use or the billing's always a mystery. When we get a bill, we're like, I don't know how it got there. All of those things manifest with pain points and solutions. And like, no one's perfect, including us. But sometimes you're able to put up with flaky API but you have good customer service or you have great reliability, um, but it takes you a lot of work to do the implementation. There's always trade-offs. And usually when that transaction or that balance is out of whack, where it's like, it's just too hard for what we're, what we need, or it just takes too long. That's usually when we have that conversation and it's, it's usually in comparison. So there's a baseline where people have an expectation and they want to know, is it, am I moving from a worse situation to a better situation? 
or I'm moving from a worse situation to a much, much worse situation? And the answer is usually, like I said, yes and no, depending on the category. Yes, it's going to be quicker, but it's going to be a little bit more expensive. Yes, it's going to be cheaper, but it's going to take you more time. It's like, you know, tell me the three things you need and I can meet two of them. So daily does a lot right, in my opinion. It's easy to get started. It's easy to scale. It's easy to not only implement, but if you run into a problem, we're easy to talk to, to get to you a solution. So I wish I could say that we're perfect everywhere because that's my opinion, but and, but there's no one, no way that we can be. So usually it's, like I said, that conversation in terms of the business value of an API and what it can give doesn't usually just come out of nowhere. It, it comes from, you know, being really, really hurt from a previous relationship <laughs> and like wanting to like be in a place where you could just focus on doing what you do best, which is your core value and your core development. And you just don't want to have to worry about this. And we just try to make it so you don't have to think too hard. And I think that shows, like I mentioned in our products, but those conversations happen all the time, but they don't look the same just based on where the customer or the developer is coming from. Thank you for the honesty and directness. That's great. And I think that's obviously how you build trust with your developer partners. Uh, speaking of honesty, clearly in, it's in your tech, in your Twitter profile. So, you know, it's a big thing for you uh, besides develop relationships relations at Try Daily, you have neurodiversity advocate. What does that mean? How does that fit in contrasting with a developer advocate? How does that affect your role being neurodiverse, I believe, and things like that? Please tell us. Yes. So I'm neurodiverse on two fronts. I'm dyslexic and I also have ADHD. And I try to be as public with that for both making sure that my kids have a better world in terms of tolerance and recognition so I want to make sure that I, I'm able to help people understand what people who have dyslexia and ADHD, what they look like, what they operate like, and how to, to really show a face, to, to add to the diversity of perspectives on things and to kind of like not make it be like if you have, let's say, like if you think about all the people who aren't or who represent neurodiverse people in the media, you have what Rain Man is one, you have... I think there was an Adam Sandler movie about someone with Tourette's about cursing at cars and stuff. There's a lot of people who have an impression of what neurodiversity looks like and what, how it manifests by those examples. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear about the struggles that I've had and how that, what I bring is my own brand of a skill set that doesn't hinder the accomplishments and goals, but may come from a different angle. So that's part of what I try to advocate for. So people who are considered, the term is uh, neurotypical for them to understand what it looks like on this side. And also the people who are neurodiverse, which is just the umbrella of everyone that I'm here. You're not alone. You're, you're, you're not as siloed out as you would believe people have jobs people have careers, people are out there who are neurodiverse and you don't have to be in the shadows or hide that portion or that part of you away from the world. Why should people hire more neurodiverse, spoke focusing on neurodiversity? Um, why should they be looking to recruit? What is the benefit of that in enriching that population in their company? Well, I think one big part is that they're part of your customer base and you want to represent people that you're trying to 
actually sell sell to. And so it's nice to have uh, someone who prevents the gaffes that we see every day with companies doing things that just don't make sense. They go through that because they don't have someone internally say, hey, 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 we cannot release this. This is very insensitive. Clubhouse is a good example of being re released and it not being accessible for people who are hearing impaired. There are, and so you hear like, like we mentioned Twitter, Twitter has spaces, which is kind of like Clubhouse, but they have built that in to figure out what cues that are are needed for people who are differently abled. There, there've been some movies that have a warning saying strobe lights for people who might have a sensitivity or um, go into seizure if they see a certain type of light pulse. So. If, if you're making a product that is for the whole population, you should have that representation, both racial, ethnically, and diversity of ability, and same with uh, gender identification. And it's shown that at least, at least 20% of the population would fall into the neurodiverse spectrum. So it's not an insignificant number. If uh, there was one, one, th this is kind of like moving away from, this is more in the LGBT, LGBTQ. One of the talks that I went to at South by was about people who are intersex and intersex is not something you think of and see a lot of, or you think that, but the same amount of people who are intersex is the same percentage of the populations who are redhead. And just because if, if there was something that was offensive to redheads, you wouldn't just say, well, they're just, they don't care. They're so, such a small part of the population. You don't, you don't do that. And it's the same with neurodiversity. It's the same with all inclusive efforts that you should really try to make it okay for everyone to use your product and easy for everyone to use your product. Because if, if you're, and if you're making something easy for someone who might have like a physical disability, you're not only helping those people, but helping the people who might become those people and people who let's, I'm being in physical disability for one, but also there are manifests that help me. Like for instance, I have trouble reading. So text to speech is something that is not just for the blind community, but helps me. And people who have a baby could show up as a person who is disabled. Like they only have use of one arm or uh, they have to be able to read something in the dark uh, because they, they can't turn lights on. There, there are ways that people present even later in life, there are people who are colorblind and people who are UI designers saying, oh, we have to design this for people who are colorblind. There are more people who have limited sight than there are than there are people who are colorblind. And so when you, when you think about the totality of people who are using your product, there are so many different aspects that can be made better for everyone because of their condition now or their condition that they might be in older age that will help them. So we talk a lot about inclusion in the tech space, but a lot of it's more physically obviously present. It could be race, mm -hmm. it could be sex or gender. Neurodiversity isn't something that someone has to disclose. How do companies, how do workplaces navigate that, especially in a remote setting? How do they welcome and be an inclusive workforce, not just an inclusive use case workforce, but also how do you be a more inclusive workforce? What are the mistakes a lot of companies are making? Oh gosh, it's a lot, <laughs> a lot of mistakes <laughs> they make. It's so brand new to them. Before it's, it's the nuance is still really being understood. It's like when people talked about diversity, it's like, we can hire more women and they check it off that they've, they're diverse. <laughs> When people hear neurodiversity, a lot of them think of autism or people are on the autism spectrum, like people who have Asperger's, for instance. There, there's a lot of, and I think that default to not really understanding how, it's, how it works 
is something a lot of companies make mistakes in. I could tell you stories, but I can't tell you stories <laughs> at the same yeah, time. You know, NDAs are strong, but there are um, a lot of ways that you can do it. Is one is training, both with like cognitive bias training. There should be the same for neurodiversity. I, I can't tell you the amount of people who thought I was stupid and said as much. People who are say some really offensive things. I was lucky and gift and like really blessed to go to a gifted and talented high school. And all of our teachers said that there are three ways to turn in a project. You can do like a presentation, you can do it orally, you can do a written, whatever. Um, so it was easy for me to find a thing that worked best. A lot of companies have the confusion that they don't just want you to do the job, but they, they want you to do it in the way they think it should be done. And the companies need to let that go and be more accommodating to the individual and not the department. If you have three designers that report to you, you have to understand that those three designers aren't like, you can't take the same work and divide it by three and expect them to produce the same thing. You have to tailor your work to the individual. And it's the same same kind of thing with diversity I talked about before. If you're able to customize how an individual works, then it's going to be better for the, that individual and better for the company. Because the myth of the well-rounded employee is just that. Not everyone is good at everything. If you hire someone who is in analytics, they might be good at data crunching, but they may not be good at putting it into a presentation. Someone might be good at both of those things, but they might be slow. Uh, it might take them more time to make sure that everything is right. Understanding how individuals work and tailoring the job and the role to them, just saying, here are our top line goals. Can you meet them? Can you help us achieve that? And the answer is yes. Then you can, I think that's, that's great to help promote ideas that would otherwise be relegated to stupid harebrained ideas. I can give you a, a quick example of me in marketing at the time, sitting in at an all hands would ask questions saying, I see that we are incentivizing salespeople to sell our products, but why can't we incentivize customers to recognize and ask for our products? That's a question that seemed very straightforward, but then people who are like in the realm of this is how we did it and this is how we do it. And so we just keep doing that cycle. Questioning and re having a reapproach of why things are the way they are, I think really is tailored for those out of the box thinkers. Um, as a parent, you know, when you have a little kid and they ask you these questions, you're like, why is blue for boys and pink for girls? And you're like, uh, you know what? That role just doesn't make sense. I don't know why we keep it. That's that's not a thing, actually. You know, forget about it. That's blue is not for boys and pink is not for girls. Anyone can have any color. It's kind of like that with someone who's neurodiverse, uh, who has a different approach, who has this thing that they worry about all the time that other people don't. It puts them in a different mindset set. And what companies need to do is make that okay. Make that something that is accepted and then change all the systems that are built that way. Like when you see a, a job and it says you need to have three years of college and you're like, why? Oh, be, I don't, actually, we don't, I don't know why. Re-examine all of your process, all of your approach, and figure out all these things that are like the haves and take them out of the need to have columns and be open to new approaches. Train HR professionals really need to be trained to assess people every time, a lot of the time, I'm going to say every time, 
even though it's every time for me. A lot of times I've approached HR saying, hey, I need, I neurodiverse, I, I have some problems, I need some help. Their approach is, okay, tell us what you need. We can pay for that service. But there's no intake saying, okay, I need, I know your job. I know some problems you're having. Let's work through what accommodations we need from a, a structural standpoint. Does your manager know? Does your, does your manager make you do reports and everyone does reports because that's equal? That's fair because it's equal, but it's not equitable right? If the, if the need of the report is to communicate information, does it have to be in that form? Can it be in a different form? There needs to be a person in HR to not just say, okay, I can get you a screen reader, but really work with the person who has these needs and make sure that the structure is set up for them. As we kind of approach the kind of last couple of questions, um, I kind of want to get sort of just, just from you, like who, who kind of inspires you or what, like what kind of drives you, I guess, in your, in your kind of day-to-day work, but also kind of thinking more broadly about your career as well. Wow. I I get inspired by all inspired by all the people who put themselves out there, even though they're part of a a, a vulnerable population. Like Timit Jebru, when she got let go at Google, she made sure that everyone knew what was going on. Google is a multi-billion dollar company. That's a powerful force. And picking a fight with them, I guess they picked the fight, but being open and being exposed to their legal department is, I would say, an inspiration. We are never going to change things unless we talk about them. And this person who is really, really doing it for us, not just for her, she's doing it for us. And I really admire that uh, when people do that. There's Anna Lytic, um, who is a developer advocate for Google, speaking of the company, but they are a drag queen and they explain ideas in drag to kind of like normalize what it means to be, to do drag. And and the information is really good. And I would watch analytical if there was no drag involved, but that is something that kind of puts it out there. And people who have feel that that's like repulsive or scary, they're missing good content. And hopefully it'll help them re-examine that their own bias is really hindering their own growth at a cost. So, so those type of champions are the people who feel like just being themselves and being out there is taking a risk. And I, I hope to be one of those people that just being themselves seems as brave, quote unquote brave, but it's more of making room for different type of personalities and t- different type of people to be accepted in this world. Cool. I think that's a really, really good answer. And um, kind of looking ahead to this sort of the next 12 months, but also kind of the next couple of years, like what are you excited about? I mean, obviously it's been a difficult last year, but like, what are you looking forward to? Well, there's professional development that I like. So I do look forward to speaking at conferences physically. Um, it looks like we're heading in that direction. And according to Texas, everything's okay. So I guess uh, maybe the world will catch up eventually. I, I look forward to things at my company. I mean, I mentioned the size of the company, but we are so outside, outsized in terms of the kind of feature and development that we're doing. Uh, and the web, the, I'm still learning WebRTC and that space of being doing using web technology to do video, but we're pioneering some really amazing things that are industry leading. And so I'm really excited to make those public. I'm not sure when this is going to be published, but we are able, like WebRTCs, like most companies around 250 people max per call. And we're releasing 
a feature that allow you to do a thousand people per call. And so don't tell anyone, it's just between us, but I can't <laughs> wait for that, for that to be like live. It's just amazing that I'm able to be part of a company that's doing such amazing things, treats me so well. And it's not just a, it's a story of like what the company is, but what the company does and showing that we can have both and be amazing at it. That's, that's really exciting. And it's going to keep happening and more people are going to know about it. And hopefully I'm a big part of spreading the word uh, over the next 12 months. Have you met uh, any of your colleagues since it's a newer job? Have you met any of your colleagues in person? Never, never. Um, there's even a colleague that lives in Austin, but he was in North Austin. I live in South. We haven't met yet. Uh, so, uh, I hope to do that too. That's another big thing of meeting the people that I work for and I work with, we, we, sh we shall all like get into the same place one day and just what I was talking to a coworker and he was telling me like, he has his camera ton up. And so he looks like really sunk down in his chair. He's six one. I couldn't tell. He just looks like he spits in a square. So those type of revelations, I, I hope to really put faces to bodies, not faces to names. <laughs> Great. So that, that's kind of pretty much all our questions. Is there, do you have any more questions, Jennifer, or anything you want to? No, it's of... just always a pleasure. And you're one of those brave people that you were just talking about, Wesley. I try to be. Uh... One thing we do need, though, is kind of for you to tell us anything, you know, you'd like to promote or kind of where people can find you online, all that sort of stuff. Oh, sure. Um, Twitter is number one, Wesley83 on Twitter, W-E-S-L-E-Y 83. I also have my own podcast with several great co-hosts. I should, I say my own podcast. I am the newest of the group. So it's their podcast that they allow me to be on. It's called Community Pulse. You can find that at communitypulse.io. We talk about community and DevRel. The, the hosts there are really titans in their own right. Uh, and I'm lucky to, to share the mic with them uh, once a month and talk about developer relations and the, the guests are even more amazing. So that's really awesome to be in. And of course, Daily. It's Try Daily on Twitter and daily.co on the internet. And if you could, please test this out, see what it looks like. Just give it a try. And if you have any questions or very confused, send them to me so I can do my job, which is to make you smarter and to make things easier. So please reach out to me anytime. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, thanks for being part of this. That, that's pretty much all for this episode so thanks for listening and remember to follow us on twitter at underscore talk about tech uh, we'll be back next time with another great guest as always but yeah thanks for listening and goodbye thank cool. you so much wesley